Okay, so thank you everyone for tuning in to our final Facebook Live of the year. Uh, glad to be joined today by Marty Irby. Wayne Paselli has been distracted to some other business and may be joining us momentarily. We came to you, Wayne, Marty and I last week to discuss accomplishments uh, for animals in 2022. And we had a lot of great things to talk about. We won't rehash them there. You can find that recording on this page. Um, you can find it on our YouTube channel, uh, Podbean, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of it. If you can search for Animal Wellness Action 2022, you'll find it. But of course, some of the highlights were FDA modernization, the Big Cat Public Safety Act, shark fin sales elimination, and also in the year-end omnibus spending bill, we made several advances for horses, uh, which, which Marty was on hand to talk about last week. Of course, this is a huge week for our organization as end of year giving is in full swing. And I suspect uh, Marty, or excuse me, Wayne may have been uh, brought into to some of that. If you're watching, we sure hope you'll consider turning some of your charitable dollars at this time to one of our two groups. You can go to animalwellnessaction.org that's the site from which we do a lot of our legislative activity and lobbying or center for a humaneeconomy.org, which is where we put pressure on businesses, educate consumers, all to make lives better for animals and make your donations there. So we would really appreciate any consideration uh, you can give us. While you're there, sign up for our news uh, alerts, our emails. We write deep, thoughtful pieces. When you read something from Wayne or Marty, you can rest assured you are getting terrific information. They put a lot of thought into our work, uh, the blogs, the press releases, all of them very detailed and very uh, helpful, I think, to anyone who wants to speak cogently about animal issues and also to take action as a result of them. So, Marty, thanks for, for joining us. Um, I, you were telling me before we got live of some of the heroics you had to, to, to do to get here, wending your way through traffic, uh, getting, getting cussed out <laughs> on the, on the way back from Ikea. Yes. Yes. Well, you know, I drove back uh, from Alabama last night, 15 hours. So uh, I made a today, a shopping day and uh, didn't realize I was going to get trapped in Ikea traffic. I thought I wasn't going to make it in time, but I wove through traffic and, and made it without, without speeding. Well, of course, of course, because we are law abiding citizens through yes. and through. Well, let's get right to talking about 2023. Now, next Tuesday, the 2nd of January, uh, or is it the 3rd? Excuse me. 3rd. Yes, 3rd. Uh, you're going to be on Capitol Hill to attend some of the swearing in ceremonies. Tell us what, what you're going to be doing next Tuesday. Well, yes, I know that Wayne and I both uh, have at least 30 or 40 invitations to swearing in parties and events for new members of Congress, uh, mostly members of the House. Um, there are a whole slew of new freshman members that we supported and endorsed coming into the Congress. Uh, there are also many new chairman and ranking members of the committees that we've been invited to talk with as well. So we're glad that the House is going to be open for business. One thing people may not realize is that uh, now that Republicans have taken the House, they have said that it will be back open to the public. It has been closed for nearly three years to the public. The House of Representatives, uh, starting with COVID, continuing on through the aftermath of the January 6th events of uh, 2021, 
And uh, so now we're just really glad to be back to business where any American citizen can walk into their House of Representatives office and see their member of Congress. That's a right that we have. And uh, we're elated because we're going to be able to be more effective lobbying when we can do that. We've had to really maneuver. Uh, I spent a ton of time outside on the sidewalk with my little dog, Spencer, actually talking to members of Congress over the past three years because we couldn't go in the building. So I know he's glad to be getting a little bit of a break, too. Yeah. So they wouldn't even let you in? Not unless you had an appointment. And there are a lot of times that you have to have an appointment. You have to have I mean, it was really quite ridiculous, I thought. You had to have an appointment. You had to have a staff person come down and meet you, let you in. You had to have a mask on. You had to have been vaccinated. You had to have shown your driver's license. They had to have had your driver's license number and full name in the computer before you came. And they could not turn you loose after you got into the building in the House of Representatives. Now, quite the opposite, the Senate, which is usually the more difficult chamber, they actually... Uh, were much more lenient. They let you come in. They had to have someone escort you in and you had to have an appointment. But once you were in, you were in and you could walk around and go to offices and drop in to see people and that sort of thing. So it's really good to see the house closest to the American people back open for business to the American people. And it's really going to mean a lot for animals and all of the work that we do across the board. Well, good, good. Well, I know you're an incredibly effective lobbyist. You've been named before as one of the country's top lobbyists. So I'm glad you'll be fully unleashed to do good work for the causes that are important to us. Um, and I see now that there's Wayne, he's joining us. So welcome, Wayne. Marty's been carrying the ball for you as we got going on uh, the show and was just telling us about some of the swearing in ceremonies that are coming up next week and how the house will be open to, to people. So thank you for joining us. Um, and while I've got you both on now, I, I believe one of the biggest things ahead of us next year is the farm bill. Uh, Wayne, why don't you tell us what the farm bill is, what it means to animals, and what we hope to make happen inside that bill to further the cause for our animals. Sure, it sounds like one of these insider sorts of things, Joseph, the farm bill. It's done every five years, and it's a Really, it's, it's just a hodgepodge of federal policies that have a touch really with farm and food uh, and you know, the daily necessities of life in so many ways. It's also particularly relevant for us at Animal Wellness Action and the Center for Humane Economy because one of the core federal statutes is called the Animal Welfare Act. It was passed in 1966. It deals with a wide range of uh, animal uses and basically sets up kind of regulatory and care uh, setup or scheme to assure the minimum, it's supposed to assure minimum uh, standards of treatment for animals in laboratories, in large scale commercial dog breeding operations, in transportation. There's a section in the bill just on animal fighting. So it's the USDA, the US Department of Agriculture, which frankly has had a real conflict on animal welfare. I mean, the USDA is supposed to be an agency that oversees the agricultural secretary, uh, the agricultural uh, section of our economy. The Secretary of Ag is, is the leader of that, of that federal agency. But USDA has just had too cozy a relationship with the so-called regulated community. 
they've become a promoter of these different uh, industries and shortcuts on animal welfare are taken all the time. There's been long standing criticism of USDA for its absolute failure to enforce the Horse Protection Act, which Marty uh, has talked about before in our uh, Facebook lives to stop the practice of horse soaring. There's been really deficient attention to puppy mills and even the laboratory work, which is just housekeeping standards, has been really uh, deficient. Nonetheless, we're trying to change things. I mean, this is why we have a bill called the Animal Cruelty Enforcement Act to kind of move things toward the Department of Justice, a much more neutral federal agency to promote active enforcement of our federal anti-cruelty laws. But the situation exists to have the Animal Welfare Act now under the USDA. That means that if we were to amend the Animal Welfare Act, uh, we would be falling within the jurisdiction of the USDA and therefore the Department, excuse me, the Committees on Agriculture. So when we amend these provisions in the Farm Bill, we have an opportunity to hitch a ride on a larger legislative package that is expected to be completed in, in uh, the 118th Congress. January 3rd, a whole new Congress starts. Everything is reset. The good news is for our, our viewers is that we helped get five major reforms over the finish line um, in the 117th Congress. In the waning days of that Congress, the FDA Modernization Act, the Reducing Animal Testing Act, the Shark Fin Sales Elimination Act, uh, the Big Cat Public Safety Act, and also a fix to the Horse Racing, uh, excuse me, yeah, the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act that deals with a national a race day anti-doping policy. So Joseph, uh, Marty and I and the rest of our team with you and others are, are really gonna be looking at the Farm Bill as a vehicle to talk about some reforms. Okay, all right, great. Uh, what among potential reforms within the Farm Bill and the Animal Welfare Act do you most hope to accomplish? Are there a few changes you specifically want to see made? Absolutely. And uh, Marty and I have been talking about this and talking about it with other members of our team. You know, at this point, the agriculture committees are populated mainly by lawmakers from the most rural districts. Uh, it's not completely that way, but um, that's the general orientation of people who want to be on the Ag Committee, that they're representing districts that have a stronger presence in agriculture. And at this point, the farm lobby has a real grip on the decision-making uh, within uh, that committee uh, because of the, the uh, rural uh, bias of the committee. So it's difficult for us to get some of the reforms that we'd like to see in industrial agriculture. I think none of our viewers and listeners would be surprised to hear us say that pigs, specifically uh, mother pigs, the breeding sows, should not be confined in crates that are so small that the animals cannot turn around for the entirety of their lives. Or laying hens shouldn't be kept in battery cages where six or eight birds are jammed in a cage that doesn't allow the bird to even extend her wings at all. This is not agriculture, this is, this is exploitation. And it happened not because people wanted to hurt animals, but because it was more efficient and they forgot that they were dealing with animals. They forgot that just surviving is not a sufficient state of animal welfare, that animals built to move should be allowed to move, that they have physical and psychological needs that 
are important and that require mobility, right? It requires social relationships that are appropriate in terms of scale. It requires stimulation and enrichment, uh, but so much of that is gone on these factory farms. It's going to be very difficult for us to, to convince a majority of lawmakers to institute those reforms, which is one reason why we went to the states and we've done ballot measures and we've done corporate campaigns to try to get the states to adopt more humane, common sense standards when it comes to animal husbandry and animal care and agriculture. And it also means that the companies that sell the food, the McDonald's of the world, the Costco's, the Walmart's, if they're exhibiting corporate responsibility, social responsibility, animal welfare has got to be part of it. I mean, animals are at the center of our agricultural industry in the United States. And the animals should not be forgotten in the equation. But again, I just don't think we're going to get much uh, traction uh, with lawmakers, given the grip that the farm lobby has on them in the Ag Committee. So our ambitions are more modest and really relate to some of the other industries where we recognize that the animals generally, all of us recognize that the situation is, is not acceptable. Uh, fighting dogs, uh, fighting roosters in staged animal fights. We have a new bill, a bipartisan bill that's going to be led by Representative Don Bacon of Nebraska to strengthen our laws against animal fighting yet one more time. Uh, we're working with our partners at Great 2K USA to add a section to the Animal Welfare Act to stop live greyhound racing. It's an industry that's been in decline for a long time, and it's a good thing that it's been in decline. Uh, Florida passed a ballot measure that really uh, changed the whole outlook uh, of, of this issue in the United States when 69% of voters in 2018 uh, outlawed two-thirds of the tracks in the United States. Florida was by far the biggest venue for greyhound racing, so we want to get that done. We're really interested in looking at horse slaughter. I mean, talk about uh, a, a, a misguided notion of agriculture. There are some people, these kill buyers, who gather up horses who were pleasure horses or show horses or race horses, and they often misrepresent their purposes, and they gather them up, and they load them on a truck, overcrowd them, uh, mix animals you know, by gender and weight and size that shouldn't be together, and they ship them up to Canada or down to Mexico. And the American public is appalled by horse slaughter for human consumption. This should end. So I think we really want to make a run at horse slaughter in this Congress and uh, have the agriculture committees through the Farm Bill say that this whole horrible, inhumane, predatory industry should end its activities when it comes to butchering horses and shipping the meat to Italy or Japan or Kazakhstan. We have no domestic market for this meat. Americans don't treat horses this way. We don't want them treated this way. Uh, we don't allow it in the United States in terms of the slaughtering and the butchering. So if it's wrong in the United States to butcher horses for human consumption, it should be wrong to transport them to Canada and Mexico for that very same purpose. I think also, and maybe one might just turn this over to Marty about horse soaring. It's time to address the issue of horse soaring. And this bill could be a vehicle for that as well. Yeah, thanks, Marty. You're you're probably the national expert on on this. Why don't you tell us what you hope to get done with horse soaring and if you have any other points to make on horse slaughter? 
Yes, no, well, thank you both. And I, I echo Wayne's sentiments. You know, we conceived an amendment to pass the House of Representatives in 2021 that outlawed or would have outlawed the transportation of horses for the purposes of slaughter across state and federal lines. It would have completed about half of the SAFE Act that fully outlawed it. Um, we passed that overwhelmingly and we brought on hundreds of organizations, including the Jockey Club, Mini and Horse Racing, to help support that. And it was really considered, I think, pretty non-controversial considering how long that issue has been out there. So I think our amendment really set the stage for us to be able to close out horse slaughter and hopefully get something done in this farm bill. Uh, on the horse soaring front, I just got back from the southeastern United States uh, late last night, uh, spent about 12 days in Tennessee and Alabama, and uh, I was quite um, pleased to see a willingness from many of the people I talked with. I met with eight or 10 people over the course of that time who have been involved in the horse industry, particularly the walking, racking, and spotted saddle horse industries, uh, with more of a willingness to want to change and to want to see their economic model uh, thrive and flourish. Uh, there are many of what you would have once considered or people would have once considered the top Tennessee walking horse trainers that may have like four or five horses now. So they're barely even getting by. And I think people are just seeing how archaic it is and that there's nobody that wants to watch this terrible abuse. So we're hopeful that we can get something in the way of a compromise done in the farm bill. There is absolutely no chance in my mind that the Prevent All Soaring Tactics Act uh, will pass as written. Uh, after 10 years, uh, it finally saw a Democrat-led White House, Democrat-led Senate, and Democrat-led House of Representatives, and it still couldn't get passed and get signed into law. So I don't know how you do that when you now have a divided Congress and, uh, of course, the White House still uh, headed up by Democrats. But this farm bill could be a great vehicle to help eliminate these big stack shoes and chains. That's always been the main point for me, that if we can eliminate those, that will solve 70 or 80 percent of the problem. Of course, there are issues related to the inspections with the USDA and the current industry self-policing scheme that we believe we could achieve a compromise to help rearrange the deck chairs in a way that would put the industry in a minority position with veterinarians and the mainstream equine world in a majority position to help oversee those inspections, still ultimately um, in, in the greater scheme overseen by the USDA directly. And then of course, uh, there's this aspect of Tennessee walking horses. They don't really use it in the other two breeds that the PAST Act never has addressed. And it's the use of this device called a tail brace where they take this horrible, horrible contraption, they cut the muscles and tendons in the horse's tail so they can literally fold the tailbone in half over this metal brace all for a certain look. And we had a podcast a year or two ago about that with Monty Roberts, where he talked about that. And um, so that's something I've, since I was a small child, wanted to see eliminated. And I think we could accomplish that as well. Additional uh, penalties for felony provisions uh, are something Wayne and I have both sought after. I know everyone in the space, whether it's the people in Tennessee, the people at some animal groups who opposed a compromise in the past, I think the one thing we all agree on is the need for an increase in penalties uh, on this issue. So we're really hopeful that we'll get something done. We've already had some good discussions with some of the senators who have led the PAST Act and uh, alternative legislation over the past few years as well. And we're going to start working on the House now. Yeah, let me, you, let me... Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Jess. No, that's all right. Uh, Wayne, I, I wanted to ask... Um, 
Marty, to talk about something near and dear to the heart of our campaign director for Wild Horses, Scott Beckstead. Uh, what might he be hoping to see uh, come out of this next year on the Hill? Well, I don't know that there'll be much tied to the Farm Bill specifically. I think that we will see early, early in the Congress, maybe even within the first week or two, the reintroduction of the Veterans for Mustangs Act that we backed uh, that would allow veterans to implement the use of PZP birth control on wild horse populations on federal lands. And then we also continue to work on the Rome Act, restoring our American Mustangs Act. It did not get introduced in the Congress that we just currently ended. Uh, we've been working on it for the better part of two years, but we do have a final draft ready to introduce early in this Congress. And we have several leaders who are willing to join on both Republicans and Democrats from Southeastern United States. Uh, and then we have some others from states where wild horses are there on federal lands willing to join and help too. So I think we'll see a lot in that realm. It's definitely going to be an uphill battle to get something done legislatively for the wild horses because the House Natural Resources Committee typically oversees that issue. And there are some seriously hostile individuals that are going to be on that committee in this Congress that have been adversarial on our issues in the past. All right. Thanks, Wayne. Yeah, I was just going to go back to the farm bill and the horse soaring issue. And again, just reminding people who aren't familiar with the details on this, that the front feet and lower legs of Tennessee walking horses are injured intentionally by trainers so that when they step down, it causes them so much pain that they throw their legs up in an exaggerated gait. And in this industry or this business, people get prizes for that sort of high stepping gait, which is an induced gait grounded on animal cruelty. We've worked to get the US Department of Agriculture at the shows with more money, uh, no conflicts at all, so they can enforce the existing law, which is weak. And there has been a setup in the past where you have the feds inspecting some of the shows, but then you have these this horse industry organization that has some power vested in it to inspect the larger share of the shows. We've worked to increase the budget for USDA by more than fourfold so that the agency is at more of the shows. We would much rather have completely neutral uh, enforcement agents. And that's why we've been you know, working hard to get more money for these inspections. But this is a small industry. It's a small business. Uh, there are not as many horses that are involved. This should be tidied up. And for for some organizations in our field to say that you cannot change a word in a bill that was proposed a decade ago and who do not understand the reality of how legislation gets done in Congress is, is just a dereliction of duty. It is leaving these horses exposed. It is causing inhumane treatment of these animals. We have a circumstance where we have talked to the walking horse industry and they are now agreeing to give up some of the tools of torment that have been part of the enterprise for a long time. And it's time to act on it. It's ridiculous that these people are thwarting reform. Compromise is not the first response to us, uh, for us at Animal Wellness Action and the Center for Humane Economy. It is something that you pursue when you understand the political realities of the situation. We have an animal fighting bill that we have have just reintroduced in December in the Congress. It'll be reintroduced in January, February in the new Congress. That's the sixth effort 
to upgrade our laws against dogfighting and cockfighting. We learn every single time how to tighten the screws further to eradicate this barbaric practice. But if we had waited until we had everything perfect on each of the five laws that had been passed to make it a felony, to make it a crime to transport the cockfighting implements, to ban possession of the animals for fighting, to make it a federal crime to, to bring a child to a dogfight or a cockfight. If we had waited for everything all at once, we'd be nowhere. We'd have a terrible 1976 law that was never enforced. That's what we have with the 1970 Horse Protection Act. We have a law that is horribly enforced at this point. It's archaic, it's in need of an upgrade, and the folks that are working to, to thwart reform are incredibly naive politically. They do not understand how the political process works. And we are fighting for these horses. We care about them as much as anybody in the United States. And that's why we want to compromise so we can get something done. We have a 50-50 Congress. It's literally 51-49% in both chambers of Congress. And you have staunch advocates of the industry uh, from the southern states in the U.S. And they can block reform as they've done for 10 years. How many more years do we need? How many more years do we need to understand that the existing package cannot fit through the United States Senate? And, you know, you had one incumbent. Uh, I, I mean, you basically had no incumbents who were defeated in this, in this last Congress. You have stasis in the United States Senate. I mean, it was 50-50, now it's 51-49 because the Democrats picked up a seat held by a Republican who didn't run again, but everything remains the same. I mean, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So I hope the Farm Bill is an important vehicle for animal welfare reforms. I hope that our podcast here is a little bit of a reality check. Joseph, you mentioned wild horses. I mean, we're committed to wild horses. I mean, I've worked on it for years. Marty's worked on it for years. Scott Beck's on our team is passionate about it. Very difficult to get that done. But the Congress can help through the appropriations process influence the Federal Bureau of Land Management. And we want to reset the debate on the issue on wild horses in the Congress. But do we think something's going to get done? Probably not, except if we do ban horse slaughter and we ban live exports of horses to Canada and Mexico, that's going to help wild horses as well. A lot of these horses are rounded up and they're they're gathered up by people who with disreputable purposes and they get them sent to slaughter. We wanna make sure that we just shut down that whole trade. Meanwhile, we push the Bureau of Land Management to rehaul the agency. It's got the authority to do it right now. They can stop these mass roundups. They can do uh, more humane minded on the range management of horses. They can restore horses to uh, grassland ecosystems. Horses have been around the North American ecosystem for thousands and thousands of years. They fit in that landscape uh, and they can be a great boon to the land. Uh, They're also iconic symbols of the American West. And they are one of the very few species where the Congress passed a law two generations ago to specifically protect them. It's time for the Bureau of Land Management to get with the program, what the American public wants, which is to protect those animals. And we don't need to do anything more in Congress for the BLM to, to uh, take appropriate action. 
but we do want to introduce a bill to really make sure that people understand what responsible treatment of wild horses and burros looks like. All right. Wayne, I've got two more things uh, for you. I want to say that I know, Marty, you have uh, a few journalists waiting to interview you. So anytime you need to hop off, we'll understand that, that you're being called in other directions. So that's, that's good. And I also want to take... All right. Okay. Good. Well, we've got you for 15 more minutes then at least. Uh, but I also want to, in case you're watching this and have to leave, to remind you that the work we're talking about uh, is, is time consuming. It's costly in terms of human resources and other resources. This is the time of year where we really depend on animal lovers to help us with this. You can go to animalwellnessaction.org, centerforahumaneeconomy.org, and at both sites, be instantly connected to ways to support our work. We're a very small team. We're very agile. Uh, we operate more like uh, guerrilla forces, if you will, than, than revolutionary armies. So when, when you support us, you get a lot of bang for your buck for sure. So please do consider putting us on your list this end of year giving season. Wayne, outside of uh, Capitol Hill, I know one thing you've talked about is working more on ballot initiatives. You have a terrific history prior to launching Animal Wellness Action of getting things done at the state level. What do you see happening in 2023 at that more grassroots level? Well, Joseph, ballot initiatives are are a process available to citizens in about, the, in about half the states. And it's really a safety valve when representative government doesn't work at the state level, when state lawmakers may be captured by different industries and don't enact popular reforms, the safety valve exists for citizens to gather signatures within a prescribed period of time and then to put an issue on the ballot uh, for a vote of the people. So I've done that for for decades, and uh, there were really no ballot measures that had succeeded uh, prior to 1990 in the animal welfare movement. And now we've passed about 35 of them on cockfighting, outlawing it in Arizona and Missouri and Oklahoma, because lawmakers in those states wouldn't even ban cockfighting, if you can believe that. We've banned the use of steel jaw leg hole traps and other body gripping traps. We've stopped hound hunting of bears and lions and bear baiting, and we've stopped factory farming, the intensive confinement of sows in gestation crates and laying hens. So we're assessing. Uh, we haven't made any announcements. We don't plan on making any announcements at this point. Uh, but in a few areas, we're really giving a close look to see if lawmakers are going to do their job. And hopefully they will. And when it comes to gestation crates, when it comes to trophy hunting of lions and uh, baiting of bears and lake hole traps, these are archaic practices. They've got to go. They have to go. And in states that don't take action in ways that reflect the vast majority of the citizens of those states, we'll look in this cycle for, for options. But we're, we've not made any announcements on this, and we're going to give lawmakers a chance to, uh, to take action on these issues. One of the ballot initiatives where you were instrumental, Prop 12, now in front of the Supreme Court, uh, when are we expecting a decision on that case? Joseph, Prop 12 was a 2018 California ballot measure that fortified 
restrictions on intensive confinement of laying hens and breeding sows and veal calves. It also restricted the sale of pork, eggs, and veal from farms that so severely confine the animals that they can't turn around or live a normal life. It was replicated on a Massachusetts ballot measure that was passed in 2016 that I had worked on to do the very same thing. And the pork industry challenged it. The egg industry has accepted it. The egg industry understands that the future of egg production is cage-free. They have been slowly, uh, but methodically moving toward that end. They still need a kick in the pants every, uh, every once in a while for sure. But they understand that, that, that reverting back to a close cage confinement system is not aligned with the values of their customers. The pig industry hasn't gotten the memo. And they challenged the California law restricting sales. And it would have much broader consequences for animal welfare than just the sale of pork. Because it's essentially saying that, you know, only the federal government can restrict commerce when it comes to animal products that come from animals mistreated in some form. And if that law is undercut in California, Prop 12, then Massachusetts 2016 law amendment three would also be undercut. And then we would then have to see how far the court goes to determine what other state restrictions on commerce with animals would be put at risk. States that have prohibited the sale of foie gras, which comes from force feeding ducks and geese so, so significantly that it swells the livers of the animals to 10 times the normal size. And then the animal is killed and the, and the liver is harvested for foie gras, pate de foie gras. So it's of enormous consequence in terms of the decision-making it's expected in January or February. So we're just about to February to January. So I think it's time for us to be alert for court uh, announcements uh, that would come up, but sometime probably in the second half of January or into February uh, for court decision-making. Very, very consequential. And uh, a ballot measure that has been challenged in the courts. You know, we've survived so many challenges on our past ballot measures from different industries uh, whose cruel practices we have sought to restrict. Uh, so there's a lot riding on this one for sure. And and another thing that our um, supporters can be happy that they contributed to is the production of an amicus brief. So we actually weighed in with the Supreme Court uh, on on this issue uh, by submitting our own analysis of the legal sides and the practical side. So our supporters also participate in that kind of advocacy uh, mm -hmm. as well. And way before I go to you for, for the final thing I want to ask you about, uh, and before we go too far away from horses, um, I know, Marty, you are very involved in carriage horse issues. And certainly many of our followers know of our work on Rider, the New York City carriage horse who collapsed in August and was uh, later euthanized uh, and bringing his issue to light. What do you have going on in the new year against the carriage horse industry? Well, we're really excited about the possibilities there. We continue to work with NICLAS in New York City on the issue in Manhattan. That, of course, is a bit of an uphill battle because of the unions there, but we're continuing to put immense pressure on the city council and the mayor there and have some potential um, 
avenues to solve that issue that haven't been explored before. We also are working with um, a group of people in San Antonio, Texas. There are two city council members there that have proposed a ban uh, in that city on carriage horses and horse-drawn carriages. Uh, there was a ton of momentum. We actually had a debate I was involved in with the carriage horse industry on Texas Public Radio that went very well. And at the end of the day, you know, where we land on this is that these horses are not suited for those conditions for hot asphalt, freezing weather, and they're not in a controlled environment. I've used the example of harness racing that we don't oppose and we work with the harness racing industry, although they have a lot of problems themselves, but they are in a controlled environment. Horses out on streets sucking fumes from tailpipes in hot weather or cold weather, whatever the case may be, um, are not really in an ideal situation and they're pretty much at risk every minute of every day to be in an accident or even cause harm or an accident to a human being that might be riding in the carriage or walking down the street. Um, we also are continuing to work with our good friend and a huge supporter of AWA, Jim Tomaszewski in Cincinnati, Ohio. He has championed the effort there over the past few years to eliminate horse-drawn carriages, and I think we're going to see some good activity in the beginning of the year in 2023 on that front as well. Uh, we're also, just to add one last thing um, on the horse front, continuing to press for the implementation and enforcement of the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act that Wayne and I talked about earlier, where we got this new fix in the year-end spending bill, but they still have not finalized the doping regulations for 2023. They still haven't even begun to implement any regulations related to doping. So we still have a lot of work ahead there. And folks, if you could check out our website, we have a great website with tons of information on this. It's called hisawatchdog.org, H-I-S-A watchdog.org. And we will continue to keep you apprised of everything going on on that front as well. Yeah, and Marty's the the editor of that website and does a great job keeping it current with all sorts of uh, relevant news and information. So, Marty, uh, thank you for that. The final thing I want to ask about before I turn it over for your own request of of things that we should we should address, uh, Wayne, would be our growing effort on the state level. So, a lot of what we do is we talk about is on the federal level. Um, we talked about ballot initiatives, but you are bringing to Animal Wellness Action a growing program of state directors. Uh, how is that going and where do you hope to see it by the end of the year? Well, thank you, Joseph. It's really important that we operate as an advocacy organization, Animal Wellness Action, specifically at all levels of government. And of course, we have local, state, and federal. Now, when you pass a federal law, like we did with the Big Cat Public Safety Act, uh, that has implications for all the states, right? So Oklahoma, which had Joe Maldonado um, passage, uh, Joe Exotic, he's out of business because he, he committed a, a, a federal felony, killed tigers, and he, he threatened to kill Carol Baskin. But for the others in Oklahoma, where there was not a good state law, uh, that federal law now applies to Oklahoma, just as it applies to Missouri and Michigan, when we pass you know, a law dealing with the FDA Modernization Act and we deal with all animal testing in the United States, that has great efficiency. It's tougher to get those federal bills passed because you're dealing with the complexity of the entire United States and you have to gain support from every region of the United States, especially on animal bills where you come out of the Senate. If you hope to come out of the Senate, you have to get 100 senators on board, which is what we did. 
for the Big Cat Public Safety Act and also the FDA Modernization Act. But the states are critically important laboratories for democracy, and they've got a very important authority over the treatment of animals in agriculture and wildlife management and other domains. So one, one big initiative at the state level for us, Joseph, is to stop the sale of kangaroo parts. Uh, and this is really a Center for a Humane Economy campaign because the center is really about getting businesses to incorporate animal welfare sensibilities into their business practices, whether it's their supply chains, their R&D programs, and other operations. And Nike and Adidas and, and a number of other athletic wear companies that produce shoes are continuing to source kangaroo skins from animals killed in their native habitats in Australia to make soccer cleats. These soccer cleats are no longer needed. All of these companies have models that rely on synthetics, human-made uh, fabrics, to have tremendous performance on the field. Whether you're, you know, in third-grade soccer or you're playing in the World Cup. In fact, when our team did an analysis of all the scoring at the 2022 World Cup, which was the most popular sporting event in the world, there were 172 goals scored from the first, you know, uh, kick in the World Cup to the to the end when Argentina defeated France in the in the finals 172 goals scored in the entire tournament 164 of those goals came off of the feet of players who did not rely on kangaroo bay shoes they had synthetic products from the big brands from Nike and Adidas and Puma and the others Diodora and this is so unnecessary Nike is stubbornly refusing to change its purchasing practices, even though it claims to have corporate responsibility goals on biodiversity and animal welfare and conservation. This is a slaughter of native wildlife in the outback of Australia. Two million kangaroos killed a year. So we want to have at least six states consider legislation to match California's state law that we are working to enforce in California. We've been working hard to enforce that. We've sued a bunch of retailers who are illegally selling kangaroo-based uh, shoe products in that state, and we want to expand it to other states. We'll have a federal bill. Uh, we have a litigation strategy. We're going to be at Nike flagship stores protesting as well, and we're working with European and Australian and other global partners on this global campaign to get some of the biggest and best-known brands in the world to get aligned on animal welfare. That's just one area, but you know, we're working hard on animal fighting, wildlife management practices from contest killing to leg hole traps. A lot of the issues that I had talked about when we discussed ballot initiatives, the states need to get with the program on animal welfare. And uh, this is why we've got more people in more states doing the work of Animal Wellness Action and the Center for Humane Economy. So go to our website, uh, learn about uh, these these folks on the ground and get connected with them. We want to create a movement. This is not something where you support us and then we do all the work. We're willing to work hard and we're willing to lead, but we need citizens. We need thousands of like-minded people working with us to get this stuff done. That's why we partner with so many organizations at the local and national level. We want to continue to do that in 2023. All right. Marty just sent me a note that he's got to hop off. Thanks for joining us, Marty. Appreciate it. Glad you're back safe and sound and stay out of Ikea. That's all I'm saying.
All right. And, and the, so, Wayne, what what have I not asked you about that you would like to address as we conclude this year in preview show? Well, you know, I I want to remind people that, as you noted before, Joseph, we're a we're a relatively modest sized organization. We're growing. Uh, we've got great attorneys. We've got veterinarians. We've got lobbyists. We've got experts in different subject areas. It's a great, it's a great team. Uh, more and more folks at the state level, as well as working at the national level and some of the international level as well. We've got two big focus areas. Animal Wellness Action works to influence government and to change the rules for how animals are treated so that we're balancing economic interests with proper treatment of animals. And the second theme of our work is to really done by the Center for Humane Economy to influence business because businesses have enormous uh, control over the lives of animals. Agriculture businesses control animals, food retail companies sell animal parts. You know, the fashion industry can use fur or not use fur. Pharmaceutical companies, you know, do animal testing or they use 21st century uh, human biology based test methods. So join our efforts. Uh, this as I, as I just said a, a minute ago, is a movement where we're trying to affect systematic reform in industries and other enterprises in society where animals have been, in some ways, thoughtlessly used by people, where the, the commerce concerns have been placed in such a priority position that we subordinated the concerns about the well-being of animals. We understand that in a capitalist society, businesses need to succeed. Uh, that's important. It's important for our quality of life. You know, individuals need income. Uh, they need health care. We have to have a successful capitalist system to operate. But our system is also grounded on moral principles. And opposition to animal cruelty has been a core value in our nation for 200 years. I mean, the first anti-cruelty statutes were adopted at that time. And we are certainly in a moment of increasing understanding of animal cognition, uh, animal uh, well-being in a broader sense. And we cannot forget about the mammals and birds and other animals who are caught up in our economic systems in our society. And I wrote a book a number of years ago called The Humane Economy that talks about how businesses are going to prosper and they're going to succeed when they don't forget about animals, when they align their business practices with the values of their customers, when they minimize risk in the form of advocacy groups suing them or protesting them, when they're engaging in activities that are inimical to animal welfare. So I really believe and have long believed that animal welfare is a mainstream concern. It's the people who are using leg hole traps and who are cockfighting in confining sows and crates who are the extremists. And we have a practical-minded approach to addressing these issues. We do believe in animal rescue. We do participate in that. We spend resources on it. But that is never going to solve these problems. We're going to solve these problems by having business and government change their policies. And those policies need to reflect a sensibility of animal sentience and cognition and volition, and that the animals matter. They matter. And 
it is an anthropocentric ethic at some level because we understand that animals feel pain like we do. And certainly the mammals whose, you know, whose characteristics we understand, we've got to recognize that. And all we need are minor adjustments in so many ways in how we do business to see that animals live better lives. And that's the movement that we want you as a viewer and listener to participate in. But this sort of change that we're trying to institute is not self-executing. It comes from participation, civic activism, joining our group, uh, responding to our alerts, attending protests, raising your voices, speaking out in the media, influencing your friends and family members and coworkers. That's how you build a movement. That's what we're trying to create. All right, Wayne, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. I'll make the one last plea that again, uh, you know, December 31st, just two days away, end of year giving. Please check us out, animalwellnessaction.org, centerforahumaneeconomy.org. Wayne Paselli is our president and founder. I'm your host, Joseph Grove of the Animal Wellness Podcast. We sure are grateful you joined us today. Sign up for our news alerts. Find us on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. By golly, we're everywhere. Wayne, we're, we're getting there. We're almost everywhere. All right. Happy New Year, everyone. Thank you. Wayne, talk to you soon, sir. Thank you. Take care, everyone.